okay if we just take a moment and just go to the Lord in prayer? I just feel like we need to pray this morning. Let's just stop, turn our hearts to the Lord. For it is only He who needs to be speaking to you over the next few moments and not me. You don't need to hear my words. You need to hear the Holy Spirit. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer right now. Father, this morning there are, there are people who are hurting. There are people with burdens. There are people who are struggling. Lord, they're struggling with sickness. They're struggling with basic needs. They're struggling with life. Lord, we come to you today asking that your Holy Spirit will speak to each of us that you will minister to us and move us in a powerful way. May your word not simply come from my lips, but may your word come from the Holy Spirit and penetrate the hearts of those who are watching online, listening to this sermon or in this room. For your word is powerful. And it reaches beyond this moment and lives for eternity. Be with us now, Lord, as we dive into your word that you may be glorified. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This morning, I don't know about you, but I've had some struggles in my life where I, I have struggled with my faith. Faith. If you've ever in your life just lived your life where you've had 100% faith 100% of the time, I'd love for you to raise your hand so I can make an appointment with you so we can sit down and talk. Because I don't know if there's anybody in this room who's ever lived with their faith at 100% on full all the time. You know, when I get in my car, one of the things I appreciate about today's modern technology is it reminds me when my fuel is low. How many of you have one of those uh, warning lights that'll tell you when you need to refill up your, your car or your truck or whatever? It's there to let you know you need some more fuel, right? Well, sometimes I believe this happens with our faith. And can I tell you, right off the bat, listen, you're not alone. You're not weird. You're not crazy. You're not less of a Christian if at times you struggle in your faith. I want to give you that freedom today to feel like, hey, I am not the only one who's ever struggled in my faith. I'm not talking about having struggles in your life. I'm talking about faith in Christ and in God. Those moments come. And it's okay that they come. It's what we do with those moments that's important in our life. Now today as we dive into the, the scriptures, as we continue our series on more like Jesus... We're going to be in Mark chapter 5, still. We're still in Mark chapter 5. But this today will bring us to the end of Mark chapter 5. But in Mark chapter 5, we're going to encounter a crisis of faith. As a matter of fact, let me give you a preview. We're going to talk about a crisis of faith in a lot of people's lives and the secret that helped them through that and the glorious truth that God gives to us in the midst of our crisis of faith. Oftentimes in our crisis of faith, let me throw out a word that maybe you have felt. Hopeless. Like it's not going to change. There is no way out. 
that it's not going to get better. If you've ever been there, just say, oh yeah. yeah. Sounds like there's a few of you with me today because that is something I have felt before in my life where I just felt like, man, there's just no way out of this. How do we help those who are in the midst of a crisis of faith? How do we help ourselves? Well, I believe we're going to dive in and find some good stuff today. Someone will come to mind as you listen to this sermon today. There'll be someone in your life. It may be you. It may be someone else. So can I give you some freedom today? If during the sermon, God brings someone to your mind who's struggling in their faith, I want you to take out your cell phone and I want the, you to send them a text or send them a message on Facebook and encourage them. Send them something you hear that you think might be beneficial. You've got that freedom today to do that. I want you to know that today, someone's going to come to your mind in the midst of this message. I believe this message is from God. I struggled and I tried to preach something else once again. And you know what God did? Nope. Troy, he kept bringing me right back to this. I couldn't get away from it. So today, as we're looking at this in the book of Mark, we understand that Mark deals with two issues in the entire book that he's really fighting for. That is, that is the struggle against evil and the struggle against fear. You can see this as a theme throughout the entire book of Mark. He understands you and I, doesn't he? Because there is a struggle against evil in this world and there is a struggle against fear in our own personal life. So as we wrap our minds and hearts around that, we're going to see this come to life here in chapter 5. The disciples themselves, the one who sat down and ate with Jesus and shared the same space to sleep and to talk and walking with Jesus and being in the same boat with Jesus, struggled with fear and had crisis of faith in their life. And if they did, when they were physically with Jesus... Why should not us? It is a reality. And as we get into Mark chapter 5, I want us to really get into this idea of this confrontation of evil and fear. We're going to begin reading in Mark chapter 5 verse 21 today. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, let me remind you where he's come from. He's come from the place where he's cast out the demon from the man who lived among the tombs. He gets back into the boat. That's the only thing he did over there. He got back in the boat and he's come to the other side. A large crowd gathered around him. And so he stayed by the seashore. Because there's so many people. He didn't go anywhere else. He stayed right there at the seashore. But you know what's beautiful about it? Because he stayed, someone knew where to find him. Hold on to that. Because Jesus was right there, someone knew where he was at and could go find him. Because here comes the guy. One of the synagogue officials, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up. Now, let's grab hold of this just for a second because I want us to really dive into this man. The man is what I want us to paint a picture around and I want you to write some things down about this man. If you don't have your notes, we all from uh, here in person, they're online. And they're also in the YouVersion app that you, you can look at. But I want you to get this today and get a clear picture. Because the first thing we notice here in verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up. The man was a very religious man. He was very religious. 
He was the guy that went to church. He was the guy who helped clean up. He was the guy who helped with the kids. He was the guy who arranged things. He was very religious. He did not even have an outside job somewhere. He worked in the synagogue and made sure everything was good. He was very religious. Keep this in mind. He was a man who knew the scriptures, read the scriptures, had heard the scriptures. He had worshipped, he had grown up, and he was very religious. So if anybody should not have a crisis of faith, it's somebody who is very religious and in the Word and knows the Word and has read the Word, right? That should be the kind of people that don't have a crisis of faith. But oh, my friend, do not exclude people from the crisis. For let's keep reading. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing Jesus fell at his feet. Now all of Jairus' life, picture this. He had worshipped Yahweh, God Almighty. He had been hearing from the Pharisees, have nothing to do with this Jesus. But could he have been in the room when earlier we would see over, I believe, in chapter 3, where Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and there is a man with a withered hand, and Jesus heals that hand. Could it be that this synagogue man, he had, he had grown up believing the Messiah would come, and Jesus was not him, but he was looking, and then all of a sudden, all of his superiors saying, stay away from this Jesus, but yet in this moment, in this moment, it was no longer about what others had said, but where he was at that caused him to respond in a way that was not synagogally. That's not even a real word in English. I just made it up. How do you like that? Synagogally. It wasn't like someone who goes to a synagogue to fall down at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Hold on now. There's something wrong with this picture. But here's the beauty of this picture. Here is a very religious man who sees Jesus and when he comes up to Jesus, he just falls down at his feet. What would cause a religious man who had worshipped Yahweh all of his life, hearing all the other religious leaders say, leave this guy alone, to fall down at his feet? Let's keep reading. Verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Let me tell you something about a good father's heart and their little girls. They would give their life for their little girls. They will die for their daughters. A father that is caring will go through the, the extent of what has to be done to take care of his girls. So not only was he very religious, but he was a caring father. Look at this. It says, he fell down at his feet, implored earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well. He's religious and he's a caring father. He, at that moment, it did not matter what the Pharisees had said. It didn't matter what the, 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 the council would say. It did not matter the opinions of other people. At that moment, the thing that mattered was his little girl was sick. He knew Jesus could do something about it. He got to a point 
or what other people said did not matter. It was his personal interaction with Jesus that mattered. Let me ask you and challenge you, what will it take? How far will it have to go before you will bow down before Jesus and implore upon Him and seek Him rather than all the other people around the world? There's a lot of opinions going around right now, and I'm not going to get on my soapboxes of all the stuff that's happening in this world. But let me tell you something. There's only one opinion that matters. That's what's written right here in the Word of God. And what the Bible says, so shall it be. If they want to criticize me, let them criticize me because I know there's only one place to find hope and it's in Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not changing a gender or, or a title or a name. It's not taking bo books out, out of the places. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus alone that will bring hope. That's the only place to bring healing. And this man got to a place where there's nowhere else to turn. In this world, they're trying to create a place where everybody will feel good. Can I just tell you a real truth? Sometimes we need to feel bad. Sometimes we need to hurt. You want to know why? Because if it's always good, then it's always about us. We become the God of our own world when everything is good. Sometimes we need to feel uncomfortable. If you want to grow to be like Christ, if you want to become a better man, a better woman, then being uncomfortable is a good place to be. Because that will stretch you to become what God wants you to be. But let's not miss the point that here's a man who is a caring father and his little girl is sick. And he's begging Jesus to please come. And at this moment, you know what could not help him? His religion. All of his good service. Everything he had done in church, all the good that he had done could not help him at that moment. So let me encourage you today, if you're in a crisis of faith, it's, it's not about the good you've done or the bad you've done or what you haven't done or what you should do. You're in a crisis of faith just like this father was, and he had done a lot of good things. He cared about his daughter. But make no mistake about it, religion, let me put it this way, church cannot give you life. Church will not bring life to you. Jesus can. Do not put church before Jesus. But let me tell you something. Church is important because if you want to, to be a part of the life of Christ, be part of a church. Get involved. Don't think, well, I've stayed at home for a whole year and I'm perfectly fine. No. Like I've shared with people, it's like going to, to Longhorn Steakhouse and ordering the most expensive steak, the best steak they've got with the best sides they've got. You order it and you go, thank you, take it home, put it in the refrigerator, and you get it out the next day and put it in the microwave and, and heat it up to eat it. Can I tell you, it's not as good. It's still a good steak, but it's not as good as if you sit down and you cut that steak as it's hot. And when you get into God's house and you get around God's people, it gets good. So being part of a church is important, but let me make sure you understand being part of a church and being in church is not what gives life. Jesus gives life. And so here we have this man, Jarius, that has been reminded of death. You know what religion does do? It reminds us of death. It reminds us there is a day that we all shall die, and it should also remind us that only Christ will help us live. So as we look at this, 
I don't want us to miss the truth that here is a man who is very religious. He is a caring father. And the third thing is this. He has a crisis of faith. You may say, Pastor, how is he having a crisis of faith? I mean, he's laid aside everything and he's going to Jesus. He's, he's left the Pharisees and what other people thought and he's come to Jesus and he's fell down on his knees and he's crying out to Jesus. How is that a crisis of faith? Let me show you what God kind of showed to me to this week. When you look at this, this man is afraid of something. What is he afraid of? What is Jarius afraid of? He's afraid his daughter will die. See, look. Verse 23. My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come, lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Now when you first look at that, you don't really see much of a crisis, but this man is afraid that his, daughters are, his daughter is going to die. Let me tell you what has happened in his life. His little girl got sick, and the next day later she was a little worse. The next day she got a little worse. She has continually gotten worse and worse. No matter how much he prayed, she got worse to the point where he's afraid she's going to die. Now, as we look at this man, we, we think that things are going good. But let me tell you what Tony Evans said. This is good stuff. The greater the crisis, the more glorious the destiny. The greater the crisis, the more glorious the destiny. So if you're going through some deep stuff today, there is a destiny coming that is greater than you ever imagined. There is a destiny coming for you that God's trying to do in your life that is beyond anything you've even thought or dreamed of. So if you're going through something deep and the crisis is great, the more glorious the destiny. So hold on. Here's where the crisis of faith comes in. I want you to look very carefully. Verse 23. My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will what? Get well and live. That sounds pretty innocent, doesn't it? But hold on. To that, and look in verse 35. After Jesus has encountered the woman who touches the hem of his garment, she has been healed, and he tells her daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and, and be healed of your affliction. By the way, those in the youth Sunday school, I want you to notice something. Jesus calls the woman with the issue of blood daughter, and Jairus is concerned about his daughter. Jesus calls the woman daughter. Jairus calls this little girl daughter. My little girl, my daughter. Look at this, verse 35. While he was still speaking, they came up from the house of the synagogue official saying to Jairus, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? What are they saying? Let me break it down to you. Jairus, it's too late. It's gone too far. It's hopeless. There's nothing that Jesus can do. The crisis of Jairus' faith was he had a limit on what Jesus was able to do. Because I, I want you to notice this. Jairus says earlier, 
My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. That's not a bad request, except for Jairus's, in Jairus' mind, Jesus' power is only limited to life. Catch this. It's only limited to life. If Jesus will come and touch her and she gets better, she's going to live and everything will be okay. But now these people have come and, and said to him, it's too late. It's too much. Jesus can't handle this. She's dead. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in that position in your life? Is there something right now in your life that you go, you know, this is just too much. Jesus can't handle it. Let's just be honest with ourselves. The only way God's Word will penetrate us is through honesty, okay? What in your life can Jesus not handle? I know with your head you're going to say, oh, nothing. Jesus can handle anything in my life. But based on your actions, what do you truly believe that Jesus cannot handle? Is it that bill? Is it your future? Is it your child? Is it that person that's wandered away from the Lord? What is it? What is it that you have come to believe Jesus cannot deal with? Jairus and all of his family and friends, they believed Jesus could not handle death. That he was good to heal people. He could make the blind see and the withered hand be, be healed. He can do a lot of things to bring healing. But when it came to death, they thought, Jesus, that's too much. Death is more powerful than Jesus. That's... That's the crisis of faith there. They stopped at the point of death that Jesus had nothing to do with that point forward. Now in this crisis, God's love remained the same. Jesus' compassion did not change. Let me encourage you today that if you are in a crisis of faith, God is not shaking His head in disappointment of you. He has dealt with people who have had a crisis of faith all of our lives and generations before us and generations to come God will deal with people in a crisis of faith your faith does not have to be on full and 100% all the time to have God love you and care for you and to have God work on your behalf look at what Jesus does next Jesus overhears what's being told to this man about his daughter I can only imagine in that moment, tears had to come. To hear that your daughter has died had to bring weeping. There's a story I cannot get off of my mind and my heart. It's been going on now for just barely over a week. Saturday was a week ago. Yesterday was a week ago. There was a little fender bender that happened right down here in front of Publix on Winder Highway. And there was a 19-year-old girl that got out of her car, who was involved, went over to the sidewalk and sat down in a safe area. It wasn't nothing major. She probably called her parents. They called the police. They were coming and, and probably said, Hey, Dad, I've been in an accident. I'm okay. It's just a fender bender. Yes, Dad, I'm over here on the sidewalk. I'm safe. Lo and behold, someone was coming too fast, not paying attention, whatever was going on. They saw the accident and swerved and hit that 19-year-old girl and killed her. My daughter is 19. I cannot imagine the pain that family has gone through. 
Jane drove by and saw the family all huddled up. I've gone by a couple of times and there's been people out there and they've put up a cross and I've seen people knelt down out there. Hearts have been broken. And when this dad and this father heard the news, your daughter is dead. Do not miss the point. He had to have his heart broken at that moment. No, it's too late. My daughter has died. I wonder what went through his mind. Could he, have, could he have thought just for a moment, Jesus, if you hadn't stopped to talk to that unclean woman, my daughter could be okay. Or maybe he thought about the woman and said, woman, if you hadn't interrupted him, he could have made it to my house and should be alive. But now it's too late. But let me give you some good news. With Jesus, it's never too late. Jairus and his family and his home had limited Jesus' power. That was their crisis of faith. They said, Jesus, you're good up to healing a sickness, but when it comes to death, that's too far, that's too much, it's too late. But look, Jesus overhears what is being spoken, and he said to Jairus, the synagogue official, do not be afraid. Why would Jesus tell him not to be afraid unless he was afraid? Do not be afraid. In italics in the New American Standard, it says any longer. That's not actually words that's in the original Greek, but it's understood. And so they put it in italics to let you know there's not a word in the Greek for the any longer. Maybe your translation don't even have any longer. The original says, do not be afraid, only believe. Only believe or keep on Believing, Because it is written in a way, the, the, the form of that verb there for believing is written that it's keep on believing. Don't stop. Jairus' faith ended at death for Jesus to do something. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just keep on believing. Don't give up. Keep believing. And so we can read how uh, verse 37, and he allowed no one to accompany him except for Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John, Jesus said, come on with me. And he took the father, and they came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw the commotion and all the, the weeping and the wailing and all the people who were really sad. And entering into the house, he said to them, <laughs> I love this. They all are convinced of one thing. The girl is what? What is she? The girl is... Dead. She's dead. There, is, there isn't a, a part. It's like being pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. You're, you're either having a baby or you're not. There is no in between. You're not kind of pregnant. You're, you either are or you're not. You're either alive or you're dead. She was what? Dead. dead. They were convinced of it. And so, and entering in, he said to them, Why are you making such a commotion? Let me put it in the southern dialect. What's up with you people? You all are all, all excited and ma making this big commotion. And you're weeping and you're crying. And he said, the child has not died. She's, she is only asleep. But all the people were convinced that she was what? Dead. And you know what they did? They began laughing at Jesus. 
it says. <laughs> but Jesus threw them all out of the house. He threw them all out. He said, get out of here. Leave. Go. Get outside. All of you. Just go. Laugh at me if you want. Just go. Get out there. All I want in here is these Peter, James, and John and the parents. Look, verse 40. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions and entered the room where the child was, went back to her bedroom. And he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talithia, come. Which translated means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Can you imagine the father, what he was going through? My daughter's dead. All these people have testified to it. Jesus, there's nothing you can do about this. It's too late. But there stands the father and the mother. I can imagine they're holding each other, weeping. Their daughter is laying there. She looks dead. She appears dead. If you touch her, she feels dead. She's dead. And Jesus just says, little girl, get up. And you know what the little girl did? She got up. His faith ended at death and said, Jesus, you're too late. But Jesus encouraged him to say, it's never too late when it comes to Jesus. So here's how we can be more like Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. We can stand in the gap for someone else's crisis of faith. When people are struggling with their faith, when people are, are, are on empty or they're running low on their faith, we need to stand in the gap. That's what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus did here. We can see it in verses 30, 35, 36, where they're saying, it's too late. She's dead. And Jesus turns and says, Do not fear only believe. Keep believing. Don't quit. God's great work is not limited to your level of faith. God's power is not limited to your measure of faith in your life. Nor is God's power and work limited to someone else's faith and belief in their life. The author of our story, the author of my story, sets the gale, sets the direction in which my life shall go. And in the midst of that, he understands there are going to be storms, just like in the disciples' lives that we saw in the, first, the end of chapter 4, where a storm's going to come up and they're going to get scared to death. And in the storms of life, can I tell you something? Jesus is enough. How does it look? It looks like the disciples going, do you not care? We're about to die. Forgetting that Jesus had said we're going to the other side. But in the midst of the storms of our life, Jesus is enough. Whenever they get to the other side and they encounter this demoniac that everybody's given up on and he is a mess. He is a messy man. He, is, he scares people. He's scared. He cuts himself. He is screaming all the time. The man is a mess. But then Jesus shows up, and Jesus is enough. 
Jesus is the one that casts out the demon and then the people come and they find this man who was living among, among the tombs, breaking chains and shackles, screaming and hollering and cutting himself, a man that was a mess, clothed and in his right mind. And you know what it says in chapter 5? You can read it for yourself. Verse 15, it says that they became more frightened. The disciples at the end of chapter 4, it says that they became more frightened. Here in verse 15, the people of the town became more frightened. See, this battle against fear and faith, evil and good. So here, Jesus stands in the gap of the disciples who struggle in the midst of a storm to have faith. In the life of a man who's just been written off and given away and it seemed like it was hopeless and endless, Jesus was enough. Here's a man who came to a point where his daughter's dead. It's over. It's done. But yet Jesus is enough. We see a father who has faith for a little girl who is so sick. We don't know how sick she was, but you know, to get to the point of death, she may not have been, been able to talk a whole lot. I'm not sure if she asked her father to go or if her father just decided to go, regardless, that dad had faith in the moment that his daughter needed help. And Jesus is enough. We see the woman that had an issue of blood in chapter 5 and everything seemed hopeless and she had spent everything she had and all was over. But yet, when she touched the hem of his garments, she realized Jesus is Enough. Let me tell you today, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is enough. What limits do you have? Where have you limited Jesus' power? Does it have to do with having children? Does it have to do with your kids? Does it have to do with a situation that's legal? Does it have to do with your health? Does it have to do with your mind? Or maybe it's someone in your family. This is a real question I want you to really consider. Where is your limit to your faith? If we were to put your faith on a scale, where does it stop? Where do you say, this is my cap right here? Did you know it is a proven absolute fact? And this was not on the internet. I heard it somewhere else. A person will not grow in Christ. Their faith will not surpass their deepest hurt until they deal with that deepest hurt. Because that hurt and that pain, whatever has happened in their life, is going to be the ceiling point. And every time they come to it, boom, boom, boom. A lot of people settle for just below that. And they'll just settle in. And that's the limit of their faith. God will do a lot of things for other people, but not me. That's the limit on our faith. But as we can see in Scripture, what Jesus and what Mark so beautifully paints for us at, from the end of chapter 4 through the chapter 5 is that Jesus is enough, that our faith does not have to be limited by our circumstances or, or even our belief. Our faith does not limit God. That's a good one. Somebody will write that one down. Our faith does not limit God to work. That's a good encouragement. That whenever we have a crisis of faith, it will not limit God from doing something great. Did you notice also something that we can relate to? Chapter 5 is filled with unclean people. 
unclean situations. The man who is a demoniac living in the tombs, you know what everybody considered him? Unclean. Do you know what a dead person was considered? Unclean. How about a woman with an issue of blood? You know what she was considered? Unclean. But guess who stepped in and touched every single one of them? It was Jesus. So whatever you consider unclean or your limit in your life, Jesus can touch it and do something great. But we need to stand in the gap for those who are in a crisis of faith. Pastor, how do we do that? How do we stand in the gap? I have somebody on my mind right now that's struggling, that, that, that's having a crisis of faith. How do I help them? Number one, come to Jesus. Do not try to do it through your logic. Do not begin with your ideas of what's going to help the situation. Do not just simply use your mind, but, but use your heart and your spirit. Come to Jesus. Notice what Jairus did. Verse 22, one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, came to Jesus. How about the woman who had an issue of blood? After hearing about Jesus in verse 27, she came up in the crowd. Come to Jesus. If we're to help anyone else, we must come to Jesus ourselves. Come to Jesus and lay your burdens down. Perfect faith is not required when you come to Jesus. A full tank of faith is not required to come to Jesus. A full tank of faith is not required for God to do a miracle in your life. It could be God is waiting for you to stand in the gap for someone with your faith to come to Jesus on behalf of someone. And if we come to Jesus, you know what the second thing is? Let's get it from Jarius. Implore him to act. Implore Jesus to act and do something. Look at verse 23. When Jesus came up to him, seeing him and fell, on, fell at his feet, implored him earnestly. Imploring is not simply going, God, will you help Sam, who's in the hospital, get better? That's not imploring. Imploring is when you really care and you're going, Jesus, Sam is in trouble right now and he's hurting bad. Jesus, I, I implore of you. I am, I am asking you from the depths of my soul. Jesus, do something in his life. He needs you right now. That's imploring. Now, it's important to pray for people, but I'm, I'm asking you, if you want to help someone in a crisis of faith, come to Jesus and implore on their behalf for Jesus to act in their life. Because you don't know what they need. Can I just be honest with you? Listen to me. I don't want you to miss this. You do not know what they need. Okay? I know maybe this side will listen over here. You do not know what they need. You know what they want, because they may tell you. But sometimes what Christ needs to do is not what we want. We must trust Christ to act justly and do what is needed rather than what we want Him to do. Ooh, that's good. That'll preach right there. We come to Jesus, we implore Him to act, and the third one is encourage others. Encourage others. To have faith in Jesus to work. Now, 
I'm just going to give you some practical stuff right here that's real, black and white. Write it down. Do not tell people everything's going to be okay. Don't say to someone, well, it's going to be all right. It'll be okay. I know some of you may be going, but, but, but why not? I mean, that, that, that's encouraged someone. Because you don't know, for number one. You're not God. And God may be doing something that means that they got to get a little worse before it's going to get a little bit better. Don't look at somebody and just say, oh, brother, it's going to be okay, and walk away. Let me tell you where you need to point that encouragement. Point them to Jesus, that Jesus is going to work in your life and do something great. Now that is encouragement based on Scripture. Just telling somebody, oh, it, it'll work out in the end. That is shallow. If you want something with depth, point them to Jesus that He is going to work in their life. It's very easy for us to just say, it'll be okay, it'll work out. It's a little more difficult to say, Jesus is, Jesus is at work in your life. God's doing something. He's going to do something great in your life. may not be what you expect, but it's going to be exactly what you need. Because the shallow phrases that we often use to try to encourage people does not bring them hope. I'm just going to be honest with you. People do not get, get hope out of our Christian cliches that we try to encourage them with. People get hope when we point them to Jesus and we're there to help them understand He's at work. Because here it is. Genuine hope isn't simply bound to optimism. It's bound to the one who holds all of time in His hand. That everything is held together in Colossians and that is Jesus. Let God direct you and guide you and fill you in what you need to do for people. And encourage them. In fact, here's your seven-day challenge. Whoever's come to your mind during this message, and maybe it's you. Maybe it's someone else. I would encourage you to think of someone that needs some encouragement in their faith. And reach out to them. And encourage them to have faith in Jesus, to do what is right or seems impossible in their life. To just have faith in Jesus. Not that everything's going to be okay, brother. When someone's got stage 4 cancer and they're dying, saying everything's going to be okay, brother, does not bring them any hope. But telling them that Jesus is going to do what is right and that Jesus is the one who can do the impossible and there's greater things ahead for those who are in Christ. Now that will bring hope. That standing in the gap of someone's faith. God just gave me this. Hold on. Don't stand in the gap for someone's feelings. Stand in the gap for someone's faith. There is a difference. We want to feel comfortable standing in the gap of someone's feelings to make them feel better. But people need God's people to stand in the gap for people's faith so they will get better. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that my faith does not limit your abilities.
That when I'm not sure and I doubt, that I don't have to worry. That you are still God and you are still working and you can still do great things. Today, Father, there are people that are listening and watching and here in this room whose faith has a limit. At some point, they've, they've gone, yep, this is as far as my faith can go. This is as far as God's going to work. But God, the limit of our faith does not limit your grace and your abilities. So I pray today, God, that we will lay our burdens down, that we will lay them down at your feet to do a great work, to change lives, to change heart. Help us stand in the gap of someone's faith and not their feelings that we will encourage them in a compassionate and caring way. Lord, today, as we stand and sing, may you penetrate these hearts and these minds that they may find hope in the hopeless, grace in the mess, and that you will work. Lord, today, if someone does not have faith in Jesus Christ, God, that's the first step that we have to encourage them with. So, Lord, right now, if someone does not know Jesus, who have, they have not begun that relationship, maybe they're afraid of death, they're afraid of dying, they're afraid of what tomorrow may hold, because if something happened and they were sitting on a sidewalk and a car hit them and, and killed them, that they're not sure, they're not really confident, they're afraid of what the next thing would hold for them. May they realize in this moment that Jesus, you do not stop at death, but you go beyond it. You conquer death, hell, and the grave. You render death powerless. That when we trust in Jesus, our entire life can be transformed. So right now, just ask God to forgive you and take over your life. Just say that you trust in Jesus. Trust in Him now to forgive you and take over your life. Father, we thank you for your word, and now move in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Everybody.